are you, Michael fucking Myers? I'm never sensible if I can help it! Never answer the- I'm bored. Alright, here we are, episode 2 of Michael Freaking Myers, a horror and sci-fi podcast which comes out twice a month. The first episode of each month is on the 13th, and it's just a random episode where I get to talk about whatever I'm into at the moment, and the episode on the 30th is based around a randomly generated theme. So today is based around a randomly generated theme, and that is snow, and as I mentioned on the previous episode, I am open to interpretation or um, kind of playing it fast and loose with those prompts, so I almost included Ty West X on today's episode. Uh, And the connection there would have been that one of the lead actresses is named Brittany Snow. And um, with today's theme being Snow, there's obviously a uh, loose connection there. But I ended up not including that one on today's episode because I feel like I need to see it again and spend more time with it. And so I'm probably going to wait until the DVD comes out and then I can just check it out from my library or uh, maybe purchase a copy if I end up um, really wanting to watch it over and over So I just want to spend some more time with that one, which is why it's not on today's episode. Uh, So I have three movies to talk about today, which I only intended to watch one of them, but the cards just kind of aligned and I ended up watching three movies that fit in with the snow theme. And then after I talk about those three movies, I also have three analog horror videos, which are available for free on YouTube. And those were recommended by my friend Everett, and they all kind of fit the snow theme as well. So I will be um, briefly discussing those, but because they are so short uh, and they're available for free, I'm mostly just going to say my general thoughts and then um, I'll kind of let you guys decide if you want to look into it further than that. All right. So before I dive into the movies, I wanted to give a shout out to a couple of people, um, namely Andrew and Scotty from Fun With Horror Podcast. They have been so incredibly supportive, and it's really, really nice. I really appreciate it, Um, and their podcast is amazing, so I was really happy when I found out that they are super nice in real life as well, Um, so definitely go and listen to their podcast. Um, Like I said, they have been so supportive. Uh, We've been kind of messaging back and forth on Twitter a little bit, and they've also um, both left five-star reviews on the podcast page on Apple Podcasts, which I really appreciate. And another person who I just mentioned a minute ago is my best friend Everett, who also left a five-star review uh, on our podcast page. Um, So I really appreciate that, and I'm honestly kind of overwhelmed by that positive response because I've done podcasts and YouTube channels before, and I've never had um, such a positive response um, with just like my first episode being out there. So thank you guys for that, and hopefully I won't disappoint you with the second episode. Alright, so let's go ahead and get into it. So the first one that I've got today is Wrong Turn 4. So this one is directed by Declan O'Brien, and interestingly enough, he also directed Wrong Turn 3 and Wrong Turn 5. Now, I haven't seen Wrong Turn 5, so I can't speak to that one. But comparing Wrong Turn 4 with Wrong Turn 3 is like apples and oranges, it's like day and night. They are just totally different movies. Um, like there's, there's really no continuity between them, and so it's kind of hard to tell. Um, um, as is the case with a lot of franchises, but especially Wrong Turn, um, there's seemingly like no um, consistent continuity or anything like that. Um, like characters sometimes die and then show up again. 
um, or like characters that have never been mentioned before show up and we're, we just kind of accept that they exist and that they always have existed. It's a really strange franchise, um, in that way. Uh, but it's especially strange seeing how different Wrong Turn 3 and 4 are when they are directed by the same person. Um, like, I'm not even sure where Wrong Turn 4 is supposed to fit into the timeline, because you could kind of imagine that 1, 2, and 3 take place in in the order of the events that they're shown, um, that they're shown to us. But then we have Wrong Turn 4, which opens with a flashback sequence, which is in the 70s, and so that sequence definitely takes place before the other movies, but then it's unclear if the remainder of the movie, um, after we flash forward a little bit, it's unclear if that is taking place still in the 70s, or if it's somewhere in between the, um, um, the flashback sequence and the first movie. It's totally unclear, but I tried not to let that bother me too much, because I don't think we're really meant to care that much about it. Um, and I did want to shout out, um, well, shout out is the wrong word. I did want to mention that there are some problematic portrayals in this franchise of mental illness, disability, and people from Appalachia. I'm not going to really delve into that, but I didn't want to ignore it completely. Um, I think it's fine to engage with problematic content as long as you are thinking to yourself critically about uh, like what messages am I receiving right now and how does it make me feel? And is there any truth to it? And of course, a lot of these um, stereotypes have no truth to them. And so it's important to remember that. But I'm not going to harp on that too much. Um, so now getting into the premise of this movie, it's essentially the same as any wrong turn movie, except for the notable difference is the setting. So um in every wrong turn movie, we kind of have a group of people who ends up taking a wrong turn or ending up somewhere that they didn't intend to. And so we have that again here. There's a group of college students who are on some kind of break, whether it's spring break or summer break, I'm not sure. And they are going on like a ski trip and they're going to stay in a cabin. And then um, it gets dark outside and it's getting cold and they're lost, and they can't find the cabin that they're supposed to be going to, but they end up coming across this abandoned mental asylum building, and so they decide to stay there overnight because it seems to be abandoned. Uh, little do they know that um, there's a group of cannibalistic hillbillies <laughs> who are actually living there, and so they kind of get picked off one by one, which is similar to the other wrong turn movies, except for this one doesn't really take place in a forest as much. Uh, the first three movies pretty much exclusively take place in a forest, and um, there's no mention of, like, the mental asylum. Um, it doesn't snow in any of the previous movies. So, yeah, I didn't mind the change of pace, but it, it was a little bit weird, like I mentioned, trying to reconcile this movie with the previous three, because there's really just um, a tangential connection at best. Um, so... I kind of felt like the characters in this movie were really inconsistent. Uh, like, each character didn't really have their own traits. It was like the the group as a whole had, like, a pool of collective characteristics that they had to share back and forth. Like, they would be smart one minute and then um, not so smart the next minute. It was really strange um, how inconsistent the characters were. I didn't really feel like I got a hold of who any of them were. 
Um, but I didn't really mind that. I mean, it's a slasher movie, so I can kind of forgive them as long as the characters are generally likable, uh, which I felt like they were for the most part. Definitely when we get down to our last like four or five people, I thought they were pretty likable. Um, there's actually a lesbian couple in this movie, which was kind of surprising to me. Um, I wouldn't say that it's the most positive representation. Um, of course, they totally exploit um, this these two characters uh, sexually. There are like three different sex scenes with these characters, which I'm like, they probably would not have done the same thing for a straight couple, which is disappointing. But I do feel like once we got... Um, down to the part where the characters are kind of forced to reckon with their situation rather than being able to, like, have free time and have sex and things like that. Uh, I did feel like the characters were handled a little bit better there. Um, I mean, they were handled as well as the other characters at that point. Uh, like I said, they didn't really have character traits of their own, but um, none of the characters did. So that was kind of interesting to me. Um, the kills in this movie were really brutal, which was um, kind of expected for the Wrong Turn franchise. Um, I think since the second one, um, I don't really remember the first one. I thought the first one was kind of generic, and I, and it just didn't stick with me. Not that it's a bad movie, but I just didn't really uh, remember much of it. But I definitely remember the second and third movies having some really brutal kills, so that was no different here. Um, there was a lot of blood. Uh, there was one scene in particular, which is called a, like the fondue scene, and they actually refer to it as that within the movie. Um, they use the word fondue to describe it. And that one, it was pretty hard to watch. It felt like it was just going on forever and ever. And I was like, man, can they just kill this poor guy already? And there was also a part in the flashback sequence where someone was, um, like each of their limbs was tied to a corner of the door and then they were pulled apart, which was pretty nasty as well. Um, but I thought the practical effects looked pretty good there. Um, so that was good. Um, I did not really like the ending of the movie. In, like, the last 30 seconds of the movie, there's something that happens, which I won't spoil here, but it just felt mean-spirited to me. Um, even though the characters had made some poor decisions and they weren't really fleshed out at all, I still, like I said, I felt some general likability in them, and so I was kind of disappointed that, um, things ended the way that they did. Um, so you may be able to kind of draw some conclusions about how the movie ends from that, but, um, I won't spoil it directly, so it will still be kind of a surprise if you decide that you want to watch this one. Um, I did have a favorite part, which is kind of a spoiler, so, um, if you don't want to hear about it, then I would just fast forward like 30 seconds, but my favorite part in the movie was when the four, there are four girls left, and they are just running around the hospital, and they ambush one of the guys who they think is the killer, and they are just like sitting in a semicircle around him, like stabbing him vigorously, and then unfortunately it doesn't turn out to um, go the way that they had hoped, but I really liked that scene up until <laughs> it kind of changed, um, and they saw what, what the reality of the situation was. So that was uh, my little discussion on Wrong Turn 4. Now let's get into these analog horror videos. So I have three of them. The first one is Gemini Home Entertainment Christmas Eve Party. So I have yet to see the full series, which I may be doing an episode on it later. I'm not sure yet. Um, 
and I'm not going to provide a plot summary for this one because it's only four minutes long, and again, I'm not sure how far into the series it is. I'm not sure, like, if the characters are, like, previously established or... Uh, I really just don't know anything about the series outside of this four minutes that I saw. Um, so I kind of felt like this one um, was playing its cards very close to the chest, and it didn't reveal a whole lot. And so I kind of appreciated that. I appreciated the visual elements as well. Um, the only thing that I didn't really like was that the fictional world didn't really feel lived in to me because there was no sense of um, characters to connect with. Although, like I said, they may be um, established in previous installments or something like that. And again, it's only a four minute video, so there's not a whole lot that you can do in that short time period. Um, so that was Gemini Home Entertainment Christmas Eve Party. Next, we have Boozoo's Ghost, which was uploaded by Martin Walls on YouTube. So this one is essentially a Christmas carol, but as an analog horror story, and the ending is um, a bit darker. So Boozoo is the owner of a toy store. He's pretty much Ebenezer Scrooge. He's greedy. He's selfish. He doesn't have empathy. And then he's forced to reckon with his misdeeds. And this all takes place on Christmas Eve. The pacing for this one is quite slow. I felt like it could have been five or ten minutes shorter, but with that being said, it definitely does a good job with creating an unsettling atmosphere. Um, the creature designs are really great. Everything feels slightly uncanny valley, like there are lots of long pauses and extended silences. Um, and my favorite part was there was a really strange musical number in this one, so I appreciated that for as strange and creepy as it was. And last but not least, we have Mandela Catalog Volume 2. So here we are following two amateur paranormal investigators, and they are on the run from the FBI for some reason. I assume it's established in Volume 1, but I wouldn't know because I didn't see that one. So we have Jonah and Adam. Jonah is more of the jokester, and Adam is kind of the serious one. And they accept a case where they go to check on a young woman who is hearing her long-dead cat meowing around the house. And she's out of town for a couple days, so they are staying at the house while she is gone. And things seem normal on the first night of the investigation, but the situation quickly gets weird and tensions increase between Jonah and Adam. There were some effectively creepy moments here, and a handful of creative choices also that I didn't find to be very effective. But I didn't feel like I should just come on this podcast and criticize something which is clearly someone's passion project and likely had a very small budget, if any budget at all. And again, this one is short as well. It's about 20 minutes. So if it sounds like your cup of tea, then just go ahead and give it a go. Um, yeah, so I hope to do more analog horror in the future. Even though it's not the subgenre that connects with me the most, I do think it's interesting and I like that it is mainly um, driven by independent creators, which is pretty cool. So now we are going to talk about Anna and the Apocalypse from 2017. This is a really ambitious movie, and I respect it a lot for that. Um, so that we're following a group of high schoolers who are fighting to survive the zombie apocalypse. But it's not just a zombie movie. It's also a musical and a comedy and a holiday movie. Um, so I really respect it for taking on all of those things and doing a pretty good job of um, giving justice to all of those subgenres there. Um, some of the humor didn't really land for me. I'm not sure if that was like a um, like cultural regional thing, because this is a um, either a Scottish or a British movie, I believe. So sometimes um, like their sense of humor 
in um, like British TV shows is a little bit different. Um, it's not it's not so different that I can't understand why something would be funny, but it doesn't always like make me laugh out loud. But I'm pretty difficult to please with comedy in general, so I wasn't too nitpicky about that. Um, the kills were really great, and they were really creative. Especially there's one in that takes place in a bowling alley, and I watched the behind the scenes featurette on the DVD, and I saw kind of how that scene came together with practical effects, and I really appreciated it even more after that. <clears throat> I also liked that the stakes were consistently high in this movie. Uh, you never got the impression that uh, the characters were too safe or uh, like you never felt sure that nothing bad could happen to them, which I appreciated. Um, but that being said, I didn't think the characters were extremely well developed. They kind of had like one or two personality traits each. And I also felt like the rules for the zombies were not made very clear. Like it, it wasn't really clear how long they take to turn, what attracts them to humans, how can they be killed, which those are usually important things to establish for a zombie movie. Um, that way you kind of have an idea of, um, what the characters are dealing with and how the situation is going to play out, um, as an audience. And, but I can kind of look past that, um, because I understand that, like, sometimes those things have to be fudged anyways to, um, make the plot work the most, um, to make the plot work in the most dramatic way and things like that. Um, so sometimes those rules end up getting fudged anyways, so I didn't really mind that. Um, I did want to give bonus points because the actors are actually the singers also, which is, I feel like, pretty rare um, to see a musical where um, the actors are also the ones who are performing the songs. Um, usually it's, like, dubbed in and they're just lip-syncing, so that was really cool. And I also wanted to shout out to Ryan McHenry, who he created a short film called Zombie Musical, which was the inspiration behind this movie, but he actually passed away before the full movie was made. And so this movie was kind of like a love letter to um, his ideas and um, the film that he wanted to make, which I really thought was sweet. So rest in peace to Ryan McHenry. So last but not least, we're going to talk about Silent Night from 2021. Um, I hadn't planned on watching this one, but um, I had it checked out from the library, and I ended up putting it on, and then I realized that it fits the snow category. And I wanted to mention it here because I think that more people should see it, and I just think it needs to be talked about a lot more. So it's a drama that takes place at Christmas time, and it has an ensemble cast. Uh, I won't say anything more than that because I think it's probably more effective if you don't entirely know what's happening until um, the characters kind of reveal it about 30 minutes in. So the characters were kind of a mixed bag with this one, but there were three or four that I really liked, especially Roman Griffin Davis, who is, um, he gives an incredible performance. His character's name is Art, and he's kind of the main character for most of the movie, um, although it does kind of shift focus to some other characters at different points. Um, I was pleasantly surprised by this film. Uh, it took some really unexpected turns, which I felt like a lot of other movies would not be brave enough to take. So I really appreciated that, especially in like the last 10 minutes. I felt like this movie was willing to go to a lot of places that other filmmakers would have shied away from. So I give it a lot of respect for that. And I also thought the film did a good job of balancing emotional moments with humor. Um, that's always tricky when you're combining um, two different things that are 
um, so opposite in that way. And it's always hard to balance those things. And so uh, I wanted to shout this movie out for balancing that as well. Um, kind of similar to Anna and the Apocalypse, which balanced all of those um, very disparate elements, but in an, in an excellent way. So I hope that more people will take to this film because it really deserves to be talked about. And I think with it being released during the pandemic and it didn't have a very wide theatrical release because uh, I wanted to go and see it in theaters when it came out. But I think they only played it for like a week, maybe in my local theaters. So I can imagine that in some places it probably didn't even get a theatrical release at all. Um, so hopefully more people will check that one out because um, it definitely deserves to be watched and talked about. Uh, not that it's necessarily like like an instant classic or anything like that, but I just think it's a really good movie that a lot of people would be able to take something away from. So that is going to do it for me this episode. Um, I've talked about Wrong Turn 4, uh, three analog horror videos, Gemini Home Entertainment Christmas Eve Party, Boozoo's Ghosts, and Mandela Catalog Volume 2, and then I also talked about Anna and the Apocalypse and Silent Night. Um, so hopefully in a couple episodes I'll be able to discuss Ty West's X, which I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, but um, I'm not quite ready yet. I need to see it again um, at least once, if not more than that. So yeah, that's going to do it for me. You can contact me on Twitter at Michael F. Myers uh, if you have any kind of feedback or recommendations or anything that you want to share with me, as long as you keep it polite. So thank you guys for listening, and I hope that this episode has lived up to those five-star reviews that I got, which I am so grateful for. Um, again, shout out to Fun With Horror. Go listen to their podcast, go follow them on Twitter. They're great dudes, and they have an awesome podcast. All right, um, that's going to wrap it up for me. So thank you for listening, and have a great day.